Welcome back to the Dr. Supercoach Podcast. You're on once again with Chizo, and tonight I'm on a game with JB. We're going to be talking defenders tonight here. JB, you recovered from our Ruck podcast last night? No, I haven't. We've, um, we've spoken probably far too much in the last 24 hours, but let's keep it going. I woke up in the middle of the night just with your voice in the back of my head. Like my own inner inner voice about Supercoach is now it's taken on your persona. So um, it's good that I get to chat to you again. Um we uh, we started the um, cancer council fund only last night, JB, and we're already up to two hundred dollars. We've had a a few donators in there. Um, I'm pledging ten dollars every year, JB. I'll say that now for every donut that I have this year. And uh, donate for donuts if you haven't been with us before for a super coach season. Is every time that you have a donut. We pledge a certain amount to the Cancer Council Victoria that we do every year. Uh, it's a fantastic cause here, JB, and uh, there's a certain note that you've put on there that seems to think that you're the best podcast member. Well, it says there's a donation from someone else called JB who then supports JB as the best podcaster, which I mean, <laughs> I assume is me. I don't know who the donation's <laughs> from, but I'm very, very thankful. Maybe they have their own podcast. Maybe we're reading too much. It, yeah, I mean, you could be right, but I assume they just mean me. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the obvious the obvious assumption. Um, but I'd like to make a different pledge, Cheeso. Can I can I go different from your donate for donuts? Is that allowed? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so I'd like to donate ten dollars for any time Sean Higgins scores less than a super coach time. Oh dear, you're going to be shelling out a lot of money. So I do on? apologize to the Cancer Council. I will not making any donations this year. <laughs> However, I will I'll try my best to to get the the men to sort of just take a break at half time and Hopefully he hasn't cracked the tongue by then. What about you have to uh, give a hundred bucks to the cancer council for every game danger misses? <laughs> no, well that's just that's just a double edged sword because I'm not starting him. So <laughs> <laughs> it's different when you have to put your own money on the line, mate. It's it's interesting. Hey, uh, champion, we'll jump straight into the uh, the defender. Uh, review that we've got for 2018. We've seen a little bit of exposed form over the JRT. We have some uh, some safe selections, some breakout selections, some guys we think that won't uh, kind of uh, go as well as the others. Um, we might as well do what we did with the Ruck podcast and the, the Ford podcast uh, previously. If you haven't heard those, go back and check them out. Um, we'll start off at the top of the list. Michael Hurley, the most expensive defender that we can pick this year, um, ignoring Sam Doherty down with an ACL. JB, what's your thoughts on Michael Hurley? The guy came back uh, from a year off and hit the ground running and only improved as the year goes on. His average of 102.5 in 2017 doesn't really do justice to his 110 average after the bye. Yeah, and I was really hot on Hurley in the preseason, so especially uh, before the JLT. He had a bit of a niggle, but that's not the reason I called off on him. I think there's... There's even more value in someone that's 15k less in Rory Laird and and 20k less in Hibbert, and then you look further down the list, and you've got your Jake Lloyd's, your your Shane Savages, your like players that we'll talk about later as as decent picks for for a lower price, and that just makes me believe that someone like Hurley may have peaked in price. I mean, I'm not sure he can maintain 102 throughout the whole season. I think he'll have some up and down games. I have no doubt he'll be a top six defender, uh, and so I think he's a safe pick, but I also think he's one of those players that you can probably get in a bit cheaper during the season. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. The only Hurley I've been hot on uh, in the past is Liz Hurley, but we'll move past that one. Uh, we'll talk <laughs> about the next defender on the list here, JB, is Elliot Yo. Um, mooted to have more midfield time since the retirements uh, of Sammy Mitchell and uh, Matt Prittis. 
we don't really like him in that midfield role, selectable as a defender, but when he's a midfielder, he doesn't really uh, put out the numbers that he does as an intercepting defender. Yeah, and it's strange. Usually we want, we want all of our players around the ground in the in the key position spots, so forward and, and defence, to get into that midfield so they can start taking their game to the next level. In this case, we don't want Yo near that midfield because he's such a good rebounding defender, such a good floating forward at the end of the game, so he's just got such a good mark on him. And when he plays almost any other role, he's good for a hundred plus average, uh, quite comfortably. So that's also the reason why I won't start with Yo this year because if he does play that midfield time, I still think he'll be a top six defender uh, quite easily. But again, that five sixty plus mark just looks like a a type of price range with these two players that you you'll be able to get for a lot cheaper during the season. I mean, he had a, a fairly decent uh, JLT one putting up a ninety five. The thing with Yo is that because he's so much of a Mr. Fix-It, if they change at any given week, his, his role can be impacted. So we saw at the start of last year when he was playing that more of an intercepting defender, he was scoring fantastically. Towards the second half of the year, I, don't, I think he after the buys, he may have only had a, a solitary ton or, or something uh, much less than what we saw at the start of the year when he did get a little bit more midfield time and didn't play the same sort of role. And in JLT2, we saw him play almost exclusively through the midfield um, with a few stints um, behind and forward of the ball when he was resting only putting up 59. I think that's what we can expect from Elliot Yo in 2018 because on any given week, he can vary slightly. Um, when he's on, he's going to be a fantastic selection. I'm just not sure they want to start him until I can see some exposed form of him playing midfield for an extended period of time. Um, but JB, someone that we don't have to worry about what their role is going to be, Rory Laird, putting up an average of 102 last year, $551,000 as safe as they come in the back line, there's a reason that he's picked in so many teams. It's because he's Mr. Reliable. Yeah, and like you said, as safe as they come. So there's almost no point discussing. I think everyone everyone picked him as their number one, almost number one player uh, when they opened their teams up. So if you don't have Laird and there's only, uh, I'll have the percentage here, there's only just over half the competition that doesn't have Laird, which is amazing to me. He's easily the most... Uh, owned defender by almost double the next person who's Hibbard and over double the person after that. So I think he's just as safe as houses and someone that'll maintain his average. And and I mean, you don't really expect him to improve by five to 10, but you don't expect him to go down by any. So you just lock him in and get that 100-plus average to, to go for the season. And there's been a few people that are worried that he's going to have his role slightly influenced by the uh, the the loss of Jake Lever from the back line. He's not playing a role where that is going to impact him, in my view. You can see um, anyone that comes in to play that role... Uh, that Jake Lever did, while it might not be as, as good as what Jake played that role, it's not going to impact how well they get the ball out of the back line. Um, because Jake Lever played that more of an intercepting role, um, as long as they get their hands on the ball, they're always going to keep looking for Rory Laird. He's going to be racking up a lot of the pill week in, week out, and that's why we can bank on him. We, it's not going to impact him. Uh, the next person that we want to talk about here, JV, Michael Hibbard. He's probably the fourth player that I'm considering as those, those tier uh, tier one defenders. So you've got uh, Hurley, Yo, Laird, and Hibbert all averaging around about 100 or above. And then at fifth position of uh, the selectable defenders this year, Jeremy Howe at an average of 94. That's what I'm kind of considering as tier two uh, selectable defenders uh, for our premium. So uh, of our top four, talk about Michael Hibbert now. 
yeah, inhibits someone that I think a lot of other people would have locked away, and especially those if they or if they do or don't have lead. Uh, he's. I think you have to have one of the two. They're both probably the safest picks to do what they did last year. And even if they're not going to set the world on fire, they might just do it, come out and do exactly what they did last year. But that's good enough for a top four defensive spot as we're talking about them now. So I think it's I think it's fair to say that these guys are locked into most teams and, and shouldn't and won't move. Uh, and consistency is not really an issue for them either. So they, they tick most of the boxes. And like with both Lead and Hibbert, they both had great JLT series. So there's nothing, no, nothing to really complain about. I know Hibbert had a bit of a, a lower game on in the JLT too, but he got the possessions. He just didn't get many contested ones, missed a few targets. I don't think there's anything to worry about with Hibbert. And if uh, we do talk about those scores for a minute. Uh, 120 in game one, only 66 in game two, but he still averaged 0.93 points per minute across the JLT. In 2017, he averaged 0.9 points per minute. So he's performing practically the same as last year. There are a few coaches that think he's going to improve again. JB, are you one of those? I mean, you look at what he did coming from a year off of football altogether, and you saw Hurley noticeably improve as the year went on. Ryder noticeably improved as the year went on. I mean, I like there can be cases made for some players who didn't, but the the real top end players seem to have taken an extra step. Hibbard really just maintained his year, uh, just sort of went about his way the whole time. Maybe maybe he's a year by year improver instead of a sixth monthly improver. But I mean, we don't really need him to improve. I think if he just churns out what he did last year, is a good enough pick. Uh, improvement would just be a bonus. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Well, let's compare some players that might be considered as Tier 2 defenders this season. One of the big buzz players that we've got this year, JB, is Shane Savage, averaging 87.3 in 2017. Coming in the back half of the year really seemed to have that role change. That seems to have followed through into his JLT form. And if we compare him to how he played in the JLT, Hibbard, uh, if we compare him to, to Hibbard, for example, because Hibbard's playing the role that we like, Savage and Hibbard both played uh, around uh, 87% time on ground. As we mentioned, Hibbard had 0.93 points per minute. Uh, Savage, 1.29 points per minute in the JLT. Um, so they're playing similar roles. He's getting a lot of ball. He's not selected in as many time, uh, many teams as you think here, JB. What, what are your thoughts on Shane Savage? I'm, I'm quite bullish on his, his chances of uh, kind of really breaking out and becoming a, a top six defender in 2018. Yeah, in, in 9.3% of teams, which is, I think, has skyrocketed since his second JLT, probably his first as well, considering he did so well in both. Um, he's the sort of player that you, you look at the end back half of last year and just see how impressive he got when he really locked down that defense, uh, that rebounding role. He he relegated Robertson, who'd been having a career-best season as well, into a more defensive role, which we know he can thrive in as well. Uh, and just it, he just took over Sav. So he, it's his position to own. We know he scores well. I wouldn't be expecting anything near what he did in the JLT. So obviously he, he just... just tore up the JLT with scores of 145 and 114. I don't expect his ceiling to be that high, but if he can go 100 plus, just like we've spoken about with the last few players, at his price being almost 100k cheaper, he'd be an absolute bargain to do that. And 
I wouldn't be surprised if if he went around that 95-plus mark. So I'll throw you a tough question here. I've been comparing some stats from Hibbert and Savage. If you were looking to pick only one of the two, is there the argument to pick Savage over Libid, uh, over, Libid, over Hibbert if he's um, performing similarly but at a cheaper price? Oh, there's definitely an argument for it. Uh, you, could, you could pretty much justify... Uh, getting Savage against most defenders bar maybe Laird, but it's all about whether you, you trust him enough or whether you're that type of player. So if you're willing to, to risk the the trade or the, the missing Hibbert or Savage failing, if you're willing to risk that for the sake of however much the price difference is, about 70, 60K, then you're putting faith in a player that has done it for six months in the JLT series, has shown all the signs, but it's, it's still a risk. So... I mean, safer players would just lock in Hibbert and, and be happy and take Savage at an inflated price once once he forces us to do so. Players that are going for the main prize and feeling a bit risky will just lock him in from the start and, and hope he pays out. Yeah, and I, I guess the, the last thing I want to mention with Savage is we always like these kind of quarterback players in our defensive lines. You're looking at the Rory Lairds, uh, the Michael Hibberts, the Yos, these kind of quarterback players that Shane Savage is doing. We also like to see them kick out, and we saw Savage have the sixth, equal sixth most kickouts during the JLT. But we'll talk about the player that had clearly the most at number one for kickouts in the JLT, it was Cade Simpson with 20. Second on the list was was Witherden and Suckling with 12. So he's clearly that go-to kick-out option for, um, for his elite kicking skills for Carlton. Do we see him as being the option that everyone's promoting him to be? We're seeing some coaches come out and claim that he's going to go back to a 100 average with Doherty out. I'm not sure I see that, but I definitely see him holding his average around the 90, 91 points. Yeah, I don't see much improvement either because, I mean, you can consider the fact that Doherty's out, but also consider the fact that Cade's getting older as well. So players obviously digress with age, as with any player in history almost. Uh, so you can expect him to, to maintain, maybe digress a tiny bit, but the best thing about Cade is he just goes 90-plus in his sleep. So I think he's safe to lock that in. He's, a JLT series wasn't amazing. He had 74 off 91% time on ground and then 70 off 88%. But, I mean, he's too old to be putting in a, a real good stint in JLT. I think he can just go through the motions and make sure he hits a chest every time he has the footy and, and go from there. So... I think he's a good pick. I think he'll go 90 plus again, but I wouldn't be expecting that triple figure average. And someone that Pistol's quite big on uh, quite clearly because he's a Collingwood fan is Jeremy <laughs> Howe, putting up an 86 in the JLT, averaging 1.05 points per minute, which is fantastic as a defender. Can we see him building on that 94.1 average that he put up in 2017? Yeah, I think he's definitely got potential, and I, I find it crazy that he's in half the amount of teams as Savage. Uh, he's one of those players, 4.5 that uh, 4.5 percent of teams own him. I should say that that's just a POD picker's uh, dream come true. Pretty much, he missed a lot of the preseason, but then didn't miss a beat when he came out in the JLT. Like he said, 86, 87 points uh, off 66 percent time on ground. And if I was not as concerned with his price tag, I would probably lock him in myself. I think there are safer picks, but I don't think you can go past Jeremy Howe as a POD option if you're selecting to do so. And 
if I'm not mistaken, he doesn't have that horrid buy in, in round 14. I don't think Collingwood have that buy, Chizo. Uh, Collingwood have round 13 buy. So they've got Brisbane, Essendon, GWS, Melbourne, and North Melbourne as their buy. So uh, there's not a whole lot of players that will be looking as premiums between that selection. So he, if you're picking him uh, to help structure your buy, it could actually be quite good, JB. Yeah, exactly right. So with that decent buy and the fact that he's a massive point of difference, I think he'll be a good pick. And I don't think there's a lot of... I think there's a lot of uh, a room for him to burn you in either. So I'll I, I rate it. I'll rate the Jeremy Howe pick, to be honest. Okay. The next player that I want to talk about, uh, we're kind of grouping them into more key defenders. We're looking at the likes of a Jeremy McGovern uh, and Alex Rance. We could almost throw Dylan Robinson into this uh, this kind of scenario based on the play, uh, the, the role that he had over the JLT and towards the end of last year as Savage come in. Are there any key defenders that you think we can start this year? The key word being start, I think it's very difficult to predict what a key defender will do. Uh, and what sort of form they'll be in. So Rance, you could argue, starting with a few years ago. And then you could argue him the last few years, but he just hasn't been the same. Jeremy McGovern sort of burst onto the scene. You could argue him for a year, but you know, like it could be his year to drop off. And we know with Robertson, he was there for about seven months, and then he dropped off. So I think they're the types of players that you wait for them to attract you. You shouldn't be attracted to them sort of thing until they give you good reason. And they'll they'll all be PODs, but it's like starting a key forward. You just don't know what sort of form they're in. You don't know how well their team's going to be like starting off. So it's it's difficult to start key position players because they're not the type of player that the team gets the ball in the hands of. So you know are going to guarantee get twenty possessions. They have to go get their own ball. So it's a bit of a different situation. I mean, I think Hurley's the exception to this as well, considering he's such a ball magnet for a a tall guy. Okay, the next player that I want to talk about, or two really, there's a couple players that we're expecting to take the next step or to kind of bounce back to where they have been previously. The two that we're kind of uh, thinking of is Jake Lloyd and Heda Shaw. I want to talk about Jake Lloyd first because he's not probably getting as much love as what we think he should be. Average 1.1 points per minute over the JRT, putting up scores of 103 and 73, um, the second game on reduced game time. The start of last year, he was averaging 100 before he got that concussion. Do we think he can take that step and we can get a 100-point defender for an 87-point average? Yeah, I think Jake Lloyd's a really good pick and someone who's actually flying a little under the radar. I know you you had him in your team for a little while there, Chizo, and he's the type of player that I would look for as my D3 if I was running that form of structure. Make sure you check him against your buy rounds again because he does have that awkward buy, but 480k, he's, he's a bargain of a pick. He's... You're not getting him to make you money, but you probably are looking to get him at what will be one of his lowest prices for the season. So I think he's a good pick. He shows a lot of promise, 103 and 88% time on ground and 73 and 62% game of time. Are both very good scores. So they're both, obviously the first one was a ton. The second one's on track for a, a ton quite comfortably. So uh, even if he does move up and play a bit more wing role with uh, McVay, Newman and all those billions of halfbackers they have, I think he's still effective enough to go there and then rest on the halfback flank and get those those tons anyway. So I actually I really like Jake Lloyd as an option and he's the player that I would be getting if I had a D3. Yeah, so he's in 12% of teams right now. So he's, he's not, probably not under-owned, but there's definitely the argument that um, more coaches could be buying into him. Uh, so we'll talk about the second player that I mentioned there, Heater Shaw. 
He toyed with us over the preseason. JB put up one good score, and we all jumped on. We put up. Uh, he put up a, a, a not a great score. The second round, and we, a few people jumped off. He's currently in seven percent of teams, which is pretty much held steady since JLT two. What's your interpretation of what he's going to do this year? Because I, I'm. I'm going to be honest, I don't think I can start him considering the amount of defender rookies we have. Yeah, and we saw 2016 uh, Heath Shaw in JLT1 and then 2017 Heath Shaw in JLT2. So I think that's what we'll be seeing throughout the season. We'll definitely see glimpses of 2016 Heath Shaw and we'll all go, "Ah, that's why we wanted to own him, that's why we had him in at this stage, that stage of our JLT, blah, blah. And he'll pump out some good scores but he'll also put up some pretty awful scores when he goes into more of a defensive role. So I think he's a bit of a trap, and he was last year, and I think people will get trapped again and ask themselves why they didn't learn from the first time. And I was almost one of those people, but thank God he woke me up for that second JLT game. (laughs) Um, Okay, well, the next person I want you to talk to me about, uh, JJ, Jason Johannesson. He's put up scores of 83 and 106 over the JLT and had times where he looked quite impressive. We've had a few mentions in the inbox about uh, his potential to kind of go back up towards that 100 average that he's spent little stints over the previous years um, reaching. The thing that bothers me, JB, is when they played against Collingwood, he started so brilliantly in the first quarter that even in JLT, they actually tried to curb his influence and it forced the Bulldogs to play him up forward for a period. So that in the second term, he got a single disposal. And it just goes to show like how easily he can be shut down. Yeah, I think you've nailed the whole entire argument there. So JJ is probably underpriced for what his potential shows. I think Bulldogs will be better this year as well, uh, as opposed to last year. They're putting Libba back in the middle, so I expect him to have another good season uh, after his down season. But like you said, if they put a, a speck of dust on him, he just floats out of the game. It's it's amazing how players can be affected by the tag, but others can't. And J- Jason's just one of those players that'll have that tag for his, or have that mark for his career uh, until he shakes it and continues to shake it consistently. So... Um, it's sad to see because I'm not a huge fan of the negative impacting player taking out a good player, but the, it's going to be part of the game for as long as we're watching it. And unless you learn to, to curb it, we can't really consider him in our super coach teams. And with uh, with Jacobs coming back for North Melbourne, I think we're going to be uh, experiencing a little bit of heartache with tagging Damn Jacobs. in 2018, JB. <laughs> Just need Crowley to come back as well. <laughs> One of our favorite rookies from last year, Alex Witherden, currently in 3% of teams. A few coaches really liked his scoring potential at the end of last year. He was also, he also uh, had equal second most kick-ins during the JLT, which is what we like to see. Is he someone that we can be buying into at this stage, given the fact he's only played nine games? Yeah, I know exactly that. I find it strange the amount of faith people are showing for such a young kid. Um, he's going to have down games. Uh, Brisbane are going to have down games. I expect them to be better again this year as well. But 480k is exceptional. Like I remember getting Cade Collardajny after his uh, first subpar decent year. or uh, I think he had a first good year, second year was subpar, and then I got him in the third year for about 380. And that was a punt. And he went on to average 90, and it was excellent. If with it an average is 90, you're paying up for a player that you want to go 95 plus and be a bona fide top three or four or five defender. So I'm not sure I'd trust Witherden to do such a thing, and I don't think he'll really improve on last year. He might stagnate, but I mean, he's just a kid. He's played nine games. He's not. 
He's yet to experience a tag. He's yet to experience many things in the game that he'll experience this year, and we'll see how he reacts to those. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. The next player that we'll talk about, bit of a POD, only being 1% of teams. However, he was also the uh, had the highest percentage of uh, centre bounce attendances, uh, the highest total of centre bounce attendances over the JLT. Plays for Melbourne. It's Christian Salem, JB. I just want to mention um, him for the fact that if he's going to be playing more midfield time, we could see a few more points coming his way. Yeah, and you'd think so. Like we said with Elliot Yo, though, some players just don't translate midfield time into points. And Salem had his chance during the JLT to really impress everyone and, and jump on our radars. But a 73 off 64%, decent. But then a 50 off 73% for someone attending so many centre bounces, you'd expect just a little bit more. And I I think his frame, his body, his, his agility and quickness just sort of glues him to that halfback role or even a half forward. I know he, I think he was a half forward earlier in his career. But he just seems like a flanker or a winger. It doesn't seem like a midfielder that can sort of get in and under. So for me, if they continue experimenting with him this year in the midfield, that's why I won't be picking Salem. I don't think that we can bank on him playing extensive midfield time in 2018 either, JB. The reason I say that is because he is rated as the best kick in the AFL by champion data. They do a, a plus-minus system um, based on the, the average uh, player's kick rating and whether they would have hit a target under pressure or no pressure. And uh, There's a lot of variables to it, but the, the salient point being that he's rated as literally the best kick in the AFL. Did Sean Higgins have a sick day that day or <laughs> what's going on if there? If you've got that in the AFL, JB, if you've got that in the AFL, why would you be running it as a contested midfielder? I can't see why they wouldn't want him delivering rebound 50s to to further up the ground to help with their um, their more aggressive game style that they're, they're bringing in 2018. I think that was just something they might have been trialling with Jack Viney's absence in the JLT. I don't think it's going to be extended due, uh, during the uh, the entire season. Um, and so that, I just thought it was one thing I'd mention because there's a few people asking about him as a POD. Um, another player uh, that's a bit of a POD in a few teams, still in 2% teams we should just mention um out for six weeks pierce hanley popped his shoulder so those two percent of coaches that have him in there i think you need to be looking elsewhere because you're not going to have him for the first month and a half of football there jb the one one person that did surprise me during the jlt uh is luke ryan playing for um uh, frio we've kind of seen as seen him as a good rookie option in previous years he's come out in the JLT with scores of 81 and 106 he had 1.02 points per minute really really good numbers there's a few coaches that are thinking that he might be a sneaky breakout option in the back line and he's in two percent of teams as a POD option as well JB what are your thoughts yeah very risky and still pricey to be taking a punt on I think uh, probably probably just priced out of that real punt range. Uh, but if you're if you're going to back him in, I mean, the statistics are there. He had a good rookie year. Uh, his JLT, two game, uh, JLT games in general have been great. Uh, but if I think a lot of people just wear those nostalgic glasses and, and really just get sucked into these players that were so good for them in so, such limited time when they had such a few expectations of them last year. So... When you see a rookie at 117k score a couple of tons, you start getting that. Oh, this person's exceeding my expectations. They they're amazing, 
But then when you're buying in at 420k and you need a ton from them, it becomes like, oh, they're putting out 80s, which would be good for a rookie, but bad for what I paid for him. So I think that might be the case with Luke Ryan. But, I mean, he, he's shown the signs. Uh, he's got a super coach friendly game with the intercept marking. I just I can't see him elevating to that level this season. Yeah, I, I guess I can agree with that. But I do see some relevance that he could be a, a, a decent um, option to increase his average this year. I don't think that I'll be considering him as an option that I'll be looking to start the season with. That's uh, just something I thought I'd mention. His teammate, Nathan Wilson, running off the uh, the back flank, we're seeing him uh, still in 3% of teams. We saw enough from the JRT that he's probably not someone we want to be buying into, JB. Yeah, well, I don't know. Uh, he scored 62 in that first game of with 85%, and then 94 in the second one with 78%. So they obviously they lost the first uh, to the Crows and then won the second uh, against West Coast by a convincing margin. So you'd expect the scores to be a little shifted in the way of JLT2 over JLT1. But a 30-point gap means that he has a really high ceiling compared to floor, and we could actually see this during the season as well. So I think he'll be very dependent on Fremantle's form, and I'm not tipping them to make the eight. I'm tipping them to only just miss the eight. But with that being the case, I don't think he'll be the type of player that will, will do what people sort of expected when they they heard the trade news that he was uh, moving, uh, and that's to get up to that, that 80 90 average. I don't think he's got that in him this year. Someone that we saw uh, perform quite uh, well over the JLT was James Sicily. Uh, round one, putting up a very decent score. Round two, he decided that he'd take his angry pills. We've talked about him in the uh, forward podcast. If you had to pick James Sicily and you were looking at him, there's 19% of teams that have him already. Is he someone that you'd be preferring to have in your forward or defensive line? Uh, in my opinion, the, the forward line. Uh, I see a few people ask this, actually. We get, a, we get a quite a few uh, emails and inboxes regarding this. And you compare the forward line rookies to the defensive rookies, and I prefer Sicily and Norton versus Sicily and uh, Liam Ryan, for example, even if it does look crazy having two premium defenders and, and four premium forwards. Uh, you just compare the rookies, compare the scores. Later on in the season, if you see five more forwards pop up, you can easily swing... Sicily into the defense like he, he's not really there for the year but I think it's best in regards to limiting that that forward rookie uh fielding it, it's best to sort of just to put him in that forward line and and limit it as best he can as early as possible yeah it's his DPP swings dictated by rookie so um the fact that we have more rookies in the defense line compared to our forward line does see him push forward uh one of the players that I really love and I can't wait for the year that he has a, has an absolute breakout is Callum Mills Currently in 5% of teams, I'm assuming all 5% are considering him for a breakout. I just don't think I see him getting that midfield time, JB. We saw from the the JLT that he has put on a bit of size. He's got a little bit more, um, I'm not sure if he was just a little bit ticked off in the last JLT, but he looked a little bit more angry, a little bit more aggro. Uh, In previous years, we've seen him just a little bit more timid, just running on the outside. Um, He seems like he's got that hunger for the ball, something that we associate with the likes of like a Parker or an Isaac Heaney. So um, it's good to see that he, he looks like that he's going to be progressing into that midfielder that we always thought. I'm just not not sure that it's going to be this year that he gets that midfield rotation. Yeah, and I think Hall said earlier in the, the preseason that he'd be sticking with Mills at halfback this year. But he's scoring well. So 80 off uh, half a game in the first JLT and then 93 off three quarters of a game. They're great scores for someone in defense. 400K is around that price that you'd want to be taking that, that punch to sort of improve their average up 
maybe 10, 10 points, 15 points. It's what we're all doing with Sicily. So if you don't believe in Sicily and you, you see Callum Mills there for essentially the same price, he's 300 more dollars, uh, and you believe in him to do it, I can't really really knock the, the pick except for the fact that I'd be much safer getting Sicily. But millsy has got it in him. Um, we've obviously seen him score well in the past, so I wouldn't put it past him averaging... Uh, considerably more than what he did last year. I really like that selection as a, a kind of a breakout at, at 400k. I, uh, we all know his pedigree. He's he's probably the best midfielder from that draft. Obviously, being an academy player, he slipped a little bit. So um, at some point, he will break out and he'll, he'll be a, a good player. Another one that's 400,000, selected in 7% of teams, more than Callum Mills, is Adam Saar, JB. I want you to talk to me about this guy because as an Essendon supporter, I love the fact that he's in my team and I get to watch him every week. But at no stage am I going to be picking him in my Supercoach side. Yeah, and that that's it, isn't it? We Again, we remember him back at Gold Coast scoring so well for a 102k defender. And we expect now that he's gone to a better team, he's, he's going to up his average by, what, 10, 20 points. I, I honestly don't see it. Unfortunately for Saad, he did score 85 in that first one off 84%, but then 30 in the second game off the similar time on ground. I don't see Saad as a valuable option. Uh, I don't see him making that much money. I don't see him averaging as much as a premium top 10 defender. Uh, but, I mean, <laughs> maybe they're all Essendon fans, Chizo. Would you advise <laughs> against or would you advise for Saad? No, I'm I'm definitely not on, on the Saad bad way. A fantastic burst player. Looks great when he's playing the game. He's not an accumulator that's going to be um, scoring tons every second week. But someone that did score a ton in the second week of JLT was Marley Williams for North Melbourne playing um, through their 100, uh, 1.07 points per minute in the JLT, putting up scores of 78 and 118. We always thought that North Melbourne this year might be a complete white for fantasy football. There wouldn't be uh, barely a single player that we can can consider. At that same $400,000 price range, he's priced at uh, $396,300. We're seeing quite a decent role from Marley, and he's got quite a few fans out there. Yeah, and this is a punt. This is a punt and a half. So you're all backing in someone that was dropped by Collingwood, picked up by what a lot of people are tipping to be one of the worst lists in the competition at the moment, if not the worst. Uh, Sorry, North Melbourne fans, but... It's what other people are tipping, not me. Um, <laughs> and we're now putting in a player for 400k from their team that hasn't shown great scoring potential in the past. The best thing about Marley Williams, though, is they really sought him out. They wanted the ball in his hands. They trust him. He's one of the most experienced players along that back line. And if he can put it on people's chests like he has in the past, he's got a good kick on him then I can see him scoring well, but I don't see him making enough money or or scoring well enough to be a top six defender. So that sort of rules him out for me. The next breakout player that a lot of people are considering is pick uh, number one from uh, previous years, Andy McGrath. Coming into year two, 12% of teams have got him in there expecting that that extra midfield time is going to turn him into a premium. The injury to Marty Gleeson is interesting because... There's now a vacant spot along that half back line that wasn't previously um, available, and considering that he played so well across there last year, there's the argument that they, uh, in the tough games, they might give him the responsibility across there. But there's also the argument that that midfield time may help him break out. Are you seeing him become a decent option that we should be starting with, given that he's three hundred eighty-eight thousand four hundred dollars, JB? 
what should we make of his JLT form? 12% of teams. So just over one person per 10 has Andrew McGrath in their back line. I find that astounding. And the fact that we've got Petrarca in, in 20%. So I'm, I'm, I wonder how many people have Petrarca and McGrath. Maybe they're getting too caught up on this whole rookies are, are getting better than the, the older premiums thing. I don't see McGrath's role changing a lot. It didn't change a lot in the JLT. Uh, you could probably correct me on that if I'm wrong. But with scores of 65 and 79 in about 80% time on ground, he doesn't appear to be one of those players that would jump up in average. I, he will eventually. And he looks like a great young kid, a great pickup for Essendon. But to be looking at him in Supercoach, I think people are, are sort of getting too predictive. We saw Clayton Oliver and, and Josh Kelly jump their average, and everyone who started them for the year just really excelled in Supercoach. No one, not a whole lot of people really expected that sort of rise from those two players. But that has made people sort of go, oh, maybe this person will do it this year, this person, this person. We're taking crazy punts on young players that haven't shown a lot and haven't changed their roles too much. So I think Andy McGrath's a bit of a trap this year, Gizo. I agree with that. I did watch both the Essendon games in the JRT quite closely because I did want to see what kind of makeup they did have in the uh, the midfield department. He's definitely playing a few more minutes through there than we had seen previously. He's, uh, you could call him as a midfielder. I wouldn't say that he's playing as a defender on exposed form. The problem being that the Essendon midfield is so undersized and so new to each other that it's just not functioning at 100% right now of what it could be. So even if he is getting that midfield time, he's they're not uh, he hasn't got those bigger bodies around him that can that are battle hardened and able to feed the ball out. I mean, they're one of their main centre bounce attendances um, attendees for the JRT was Darcy Parish, and last year he played almost exclusively across the the half forward flank because of all the uh, the other uh, midfield as we had so um, they're all learning to gel together and I, I, I think in third year might be that where he has a considerable breakout maybe towards the end of this year but I don't think I'll be starting with him JB um, and so the next player and probably the last uh, of these breakout options that we've just been rattling off is uh, Marchbank Caleb Marchbank in 4% of teams had some interesting performances in the JRT um, particularly JRT1 where they really like to use him and it's the thing that we're seeing with Carlton is that as soon as one of them does well or has a good quarter or a good 10-minute patch here and there, oh, he's taken over Doherty's role. Oh, this guy's taken over Doherty's <laughs> role. Oh, now Caleb Marsbank's taken over Doherty's role. They're all of them as a unit in that back line and the defensive wingers that are pushing back are taking the uh, the the impact of, of uh, Doherty not being there. It's not one person that's just going to step up and suddenly score like Sam Doherty because air quotes, he's now playing Doherty's role. Caleb Marchbank is going to have natural progression. He's a, he's a high draft pick. I don't see him um, becoming that next Doherty player that's going to be averaging 90 plus. And if we're talking about these kind of breakout options, we really need them to score 85 or above. Otherwise, they're a waste of time, JB. Yeah, and well said, but I don't really mind the Marchbank pick. So... When you consider the fact that he's in a third less teams than, than Andy McGrath, it's a little crazy to me considering the JLT, uh, JLT form. 111 from 88% time on ground, 89 from 83% time on ground. He did everything right. We know he's got the talent. He was stuck behind that GWS 
uh, defensive line for a long time until he moved to Carlton. He's very silky. He's good with the ball. He's very agile for a, a medium-sized, uh, big-ish person. And I do like Caleb Marchbank. However, you'd have to be very, very ballsy to pick him up in your team. So 381K is that, like you said, that range that you have to be getting 85, 90-plus from. I can see Marchbank putting up some very good scores and even be consistently in the 70s, but I don't think he can go forward and average that 85, 90-plus. I like it, JB. It's nice when you uh, you disagree with me. We get some uh, <laughs> differing opinions, and I know we both have uh, we both have very specific opinions about this player. I started the season very hot on Angus Brayshaw, priced at three hundred and seventeen thousand. Put a score of thirty four up in JLT one, and we all crossed his name off the list. But he came back in JLT two with a ninety nine. Is he someone that we can expect to improve in 2018? And should we keep him on a watch list? Uh, or are we just too worried about the fact that he's got four helmets on at once? <laughs> I'm not too worried about the helmets, but I am worried about his role. So obviously in the first uh, JLT game, we saw him in defense. And in the second one, we saw him forward. Am I wrong there, Chizo? Is that the other way around? It, 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 that, that's spot on. Yes, excellent. So in defence, he, he scored the 35 off 71% time of ground. Up forward, he scored the 99 in 76%. That's a huge differential. Now, I know uh, uh, positions for players can be huge factors. They're obviously huge factors. But 60 points is a bit crazy. I think Angus Brayshaw would be thrown pretty much all over the, the, the pitch this year. And that's sort of what's making me think he's probably too risky. So if he plays up in defense, which he's a great defensive minor player, but that's what he is. When he goes back there, he wants to stop the ball, not get the ball. And when he goes forward, obviously he changes his mindset and he wants to get the ball. And that's when he starts putting out these good scores. If he plays too many games in defense, he will struggle to average more than 80. So I think he's a bit of a bit of a risky option, one that I wouldn't be investing in for, for that sort of money. There are cheaper players just below him that I'd, I'd much prefer to put that money into. So we'll talk about one of these cheaper players that you're really big on. We know Phantom's big on as well. That's Riley Bonner. As a Port fan and a uh, SA boy yourself, sell me on him because I'm not there. So it's, it's kind of crazy to hear people say they're not Bonner fans when they don't live in SA and, and see a lot of Riley Bonner, a lot of the exposure. And I think it's probably crazy to anyone that's not really an SA or, or a Port follower or someone that's seen Bonner play consistently um, to think that he's such a lock in so many people's teams. Um, obviously, what's most appealing about Bonner is his his low floor. Uh, sorry, his high floor. So he, he rarely scores below 70. Uh, if you want to consider that first JLT game, he only played 69% time on ground. He played in a winging, winger role uh, and also played forward a lot, and that's just not his role. So the second JLT game, he was back to normal, 78% uh, seventy-eight score in 81% time of ground, uh, and obviously most of those points in that second half as well when we when Port started doing better. But he's, he's the type of player that we just want the ball in the hands of, even more so than Pittard. So we've bred Pittard for a very, very long time, and we, we rate his disposal efficiency now, even though people will laugh. Um, and that's why Pittard's such a pivotal piece in our team. But when Riley Bonner plays, we want the ball in his hands even more than Pittard. And he's younger, and he's only played less than 10 games. So it shows how highly we rate him. And if we're trying to get the ball in his hands, if you tip Port to win 
more games than they lose, win as many games as last year. I think you've got to be tipping Riley Bonner to be just as successful as last year. And that's the floor of 70 and the ceiling up to 85 or 90. So if he does that for a consistent period, he's better than, well, there aren't many other rookies that you can really get into your team, except the obvious few. I think he's going to make as much money as any other rookie at back there and score higher while he's doing it. So that's what's so appealing to me. How do you actually feel about Bonacciso? Because I, I know you're not a huge fan yourself. Having heard that, the fact that we're picking him for his high floor and and the fact that he's probably going to do as well as Port this year, which a lot of people are tipping to do well, do you still feel uneasy about him? Is it just that his consistency? Is it, is it his scoring potential? What is it? Well, there's a few little things that... Um, that- kind of uh, pop up for me. Uh, I should say that the reason that he's got a high floor and the reason that they want to give him the ball across the back line is he has the fifth best disposal per turnover rate of the 118 def- uh, general defenders to reach 50 disposals in 2017. So what that tells me is he's got a fantastic disposal efficiency. You dispose of the ball well, your team's going to want to give you the ball in important situations, and that disposal efficiency is going to help with your floor. You're not going to have games... Like, imagine if if Titch or Zeret, for example, only got 20 touches a game. They'd average 40 because they just can't hit a target. <laughs> Riley Bonner can hit targets with his eyes closed. That, that's why he scores so well. The The thing that jumps out to me is because of his elevated price, if he's only averaging um, 75 or 80, I'm not sure he's going to make a tremendous amount of money. You might get 150K off him, which, you know, might be fine. Um, but I'm not sure if you're going to make 150K off Aaron Norton, but you have an extra 100000 to spend in your starting squad. Depends what you can do with it. Um, maybe that gets you from a titch to a, d- a danger, for example, if he starts round one. No. Um, the, it, it all depends on how you structure. And the last thing is that he's only in 6% of teams. So if he doesn't come off and you've invested extra money into him, it's not like the whole t- the whole, um, uh, the whole super coach community fails with you. You are going to be behind the pack and you have to fix that by yourself. So, so long as you've got the rest of your team structured up, I think he might be a good selection. At the moment right now, I'm not sure I can fit him in at a D4 where I've got him, and that's the only reason why I'm not spending that much in the back line because I'm happy with some of the rookies that we already have, JB. Yeah, and a couple of counter-arguments there. So, um, obviously, if he's making you 150K, you can you compare him to Norton and say, well, if I'm going to get that from Norton, why am I getting Bonner? Well, I've got Norton as well. And he's locked in. So I've got Murray and Finlayson, and uh, that's pretty much uh, Duday as well, sorry. And they're all locked in. Those players aren't going to move. It's the next player. So it's the Caulfield who he might not make 150K. It's Murphy who might not play. It's it's those types of players that were then counting on to make that 150, where if you've got the extra 100K that you, you don't need to invest somewhere else, I think it's probably best invested there considering not only is he going to make you that money but he's also going to be scoring well whilst he does it so you're not going to lose a whole entire scoring potential for your team if you're getting 30 40 points on the other rookie that you would have instead then i mean try and use 100k to get 30 40 points elsewhere you probably can but whilst making you money as well these are the things that you got to weigh up um, add that to his buy situation. If you carry him through that round 10 buy, obviously you've got him for the, the three after that. So I think that could be very helpful for people structuring up their team uh, as so. 
And then uh, just lastly, uh, I, well, actually, I think that was all. I think that was all your points, Jizo. I, <laughs> yeah. I think I've kind of argued with you into starting him. Well, lastly, <laughs> I was I was going to suggest Dougal Howard, Chizo. Uh, okay. He's two hundred and eighty-two k, around the same price. Now I'm not going near him because I've got Bonner, and I'm very confident with my Bonner pick. But Dougal Howard scored 97 points in 76% time on ground, playing a purely floating defensive role whilst pinch hitting in the ruck whilst also floating forward when Westhoff needed a bit of a rest. Does he interest you at all? Because he, to me, looks like that Westhoff, or exactly like Westhoff, um, and we know how well he's scored well for poor. If he's used in the same role, Chizo, Put a little bit of consideration into this before you answer and laugh at me because I, I assume that would be your first reaction. Yeah, it is. Yes, correct. Uh, yep. So put a little <laughs> more thought into it. If he's doing that Westhoff role and he's good at it, which I can tell you right now, he's been molded into that for years and he will be decent at it. For 280K, he could be the similar type moneymaker but with a higher ceiling and obviously a lower floor than Bonner. What, did, <laughs> what was his time on ground in JLT1? Well, he played a different role in JLT one. Okay, so you're saying that he play he's has the potential to change roles from week to week, and he's an elevated rookie price. Well, Bonner played a different role in JLT one, and so did Barry, and so did Gray, and so did Ryder, pretty much. So the the whole team, I'll say, uh, were blanketed by role changes in that first JLT as a bit of an experimentary thing, as a lot of teams do. JLT two was more of the practice run that you'd like to see from your team, so. Uh, very con- a lot of players consistently in their position that they should be lining up for in 2018. Well, that that raises a, an interesting point that you've got there, JB. Um, you mentioned Don Barry. I know he's not a rookie that we can consider in our, our back lines being a midfielder, obviously. But does his presence in the team influence um, Riley Bonner's potential? Because of the two, I saw personally I saw Don Barry being... Um, uh, it seemed a little bit more of an impact when he played there. He seemed a little bit more flashy, that leg speed. Hey, he might not have the same disposal efficiency as Riley Bonner, but is there the chance that they could be vying for the same spot? <laughs> I will get you to answer my Dougal Howard question afterwards, but the answer to your question, uh, I mean, Barry didn't play last season, obviously, but Bonner and Peter did play together. So I'd assume those two are our first two selections. Bonner played through the finals and was... Oh, through the final, I should say. <sighs> Heartbreaking, but... Um, and was our be- best player not not committing a turnover, so our most efficient player. So I think he's earned himself at least half a season, unless he's god-awful, which I don't think he is for that half season. I don't think Bonner will be dropped. Barry, on the other hand, when Pittard does return in five weeks, I think Barry will be the one to go, and that's why I'm sort of questioning his, his eligibility for our midfield bench, but we'll... Talk about that in the midfield pod. Okay, that, that wraps it up. And I'll, I'll answer your Dougal Howard now. Um, I can't say that I'm a fan. Uh, the The difference between JLT1 and JLT2 is too great for me. There's um, you, you mentioned that he kind of played uh, the Westoff role. And, you know, why would they need him to play that while they have Westoff in the team? Is kind is kind of my thinking. So, um, I don't think that's going to be something that he's going to be playing an awful lot of. I think he might be getting uh, getting more games compared to the three he got in two thousand and seventeen. And even though he had an average of seventy three point three last year, I just can't see him doing cons- doing it consistently. I don't. I, I think he's going to be somewhere in between his two JLT scores. And if he's somewhere in between there, it's not a score worth having. 
you, you, you're better off picking Bonner if one of them is going to going to break out there, JB. Yeah, that's a good call. If he if he does score between those two JLT scores, then it's yeah, it's not a good pick. I think it's an interesting point of difference pick to consider if he does get that Hoff roll. Can I get some some Port fans to message the page or comment on the the status? What role you think uh, Dougal Howard will play this year? Because I think he's very intriguing with his size and agility. So if we can get some feedback on that, someone maybe more educated than myself, uh, and we'll we'll really get to the bottom of whether he could be a potential Smokey. Geez, we'll have a lot of people inboxing the page if you're looking for someone more intelligent than yourself there, JB. Yeah, <laughs> might want to just raise the floor there a little bit. Be, They're be port fans like though, that. come on. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. There's a, a certain type for every club. Collingwood, for example, pistol. <coughs> um, so the, we've covered pretty much everyone other than rookies. And the reason that we do that is because on Pistol's rookie report on drsc.com.au, our website, you'll find his write-up on all the rookies across all the lines. If you're looking for the defender defender rookies that you should be considering in 2018, that's where you, you should head and get a proper um, write-down. Uh, but we will talk about um, something I think is important, that structure, JB, because... We've mentioned slightly on the podcast, particularly when we talked about James Sicily, is that the defense line has more rookies available than the forward line. And so we're seeing a lot of coaches go with less premiums in the back line and more premiums in the forward line. The reason for that being you're not exposing yourself by having the likes of a Liam Ryan having to play on the field getting 30s, 40s, and 50s, and instead you're out playing an extra rookie in the back line like a, a Finlayson from GWS that might average 60-plus. So um, are you seeing that is uh, basically the typical way that we can approach 2018, JB? And do you see any potential problems that we can have with going with so many on-field rookies in our defensive structures? No, not overly. I don't see a lot of potential issues. Uh, I mean, cash. it's just the same as if you started with three on one end and three on the other. It just looks more disjointed. So I think there are a lot of cheap uh, rookie... Uh, no, sorry. I think there are a lot of cheapish uh, forwards that we can punt on, like uh, Devin Smith. Uh, a lot of people are investing in Petrarca, obviously. Uh, Sicily's there, and there's there's more and more. I could go on forever. Like You've got the Lamberts, the McLeans. These players aren't that expensive. So there's a lot of forwards that people are wanting to invest in are very enticing players for people. Whereas in defense, uh, I mean, we've gone through them. There's Sav and there's a handful of others like Lloyd, but there's not a ton. So I think people are finding it easier to sort of go into this this more heavy mid, uh, more heavy forward line uh, and sacrifice some of the defenders because, again, we're enabled to do this due to the fact that there are so many good defensive rookies I wouldn't say great I mean a lot of them are probably going to hover around the 60 mark but in comparison to the the forward rookies a lot are looking to hover around the 30 or 40 mark so it's just it's not ideal the forward line rookies and preferably would love to have a balanced team with three uh, forward premiums three defensive uh, premiums and just really have it looking all, all sorts of symmetrical and uh, the works I mean I'm, a, I'm as OCD as anyone but at the end of the day, I think it's just difficult to do this year. I don't think it's impossible. I think you can you can squeeze some players like Rayner or Stevenson if you think they're going to score marginally better than the cheap ones. But I think it's definitely the best option is to go really, really small in defense 
and and go big in in the forward line. Are you doing the same thing, Cheezo? Because I know it's popular, but not everyone's going for it. I'm going with a similar structure. Uh, I just want to ask if you're going with Riley Bonner, for example, are you playing him at D3 because um, the, the the premiums that I have in the back line, I'm not finding space for him at D4 at the moment. So for that reason, are you playing Riley Bonner so you only have to have three on-field rookies? Yes. Yeah, Bonner's D3 just to increase that scoring potential of my whole team a little bit more, getting maybe 20 points over a standard rookie. So for that reason, we've got three on-field rookies in the defensive line, if that's the case. Who are the, the three? You pushed it on me last night. And you may, I had to come up with the top five ruckmen. <laughs> I want you to come up with the top three rookie on-field options that we can choose from in 2018. Okay, so I think number one is quite clearly Murray for Collingwood. Uh, great, great kick on him. Uh, showed his scoring potential in that second JLT. I think we can really expect him to push this the high 60s, maybe even low 70s. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if he pushed more, but our expectations shouldn't be more. So he'd definitely be my number one on-field option. I think number two, Duday has shown that he can score pretty well. He scored an 80, 85, I think, in that first first clash of the JLT. I can get that score up in just a second, actually. Uh, and and scored decently against Port Adelaide. He was going he was going poorly in that first half, and then had a good second half. So really rebounded well. So eighty six in that first JLT game. So I think he's probably got the second most scoring potential. And then Norton would have to be my third. I know a lot of people are sort of frowning upon Norton's scoring potential and just picking him for his job security. But an intercept marker during the season, all it takes is one or two good ones during the end of, uh, towards the end of the game or a couple of early good intercept marks to sort of stem the flow of the opposition. And they're worth their weight in gold. So I think Norton will be a good 60 to 70, uh, maybe even 70 plus type averager and I know you're keen on Finlayson who just doesn't make the cut there Chizo. so do you want to have a chat about him <laughs> I was just I was I was gonna ask is there any correlation between the three that you've chosen and the three that have just been confirmed in the last 24 hours as playing in round one JB I was just like <laughs> are you playing it safe here mate you, are, you, are you just trying to get the three that are going to be there so you look good uh Jeremy Finlayson um I was lucky enough uh, as part of our Herald Sun write-ups for the JLT uh they're still up you can go check them out on uh, our website now he played multiple different roles but the thing that stood out for me is his left leg, very much like Sam Murray and Riley Bonner in a way, is that he has an absolute weapon of a left foot. He was taking the kickouts. Um, he spent some time manning some of the uh, the more dangerous forwards. I saw him spend some time on, on Buddy Franklin and held his own for a little bit. He had an absolute horror 10 minutes in Dal T2, um, where he kicked. It's It was almost impossible for him to kick more poorly than he did in in, uh, that 10-minute period. He gave away like two free kicks um, and two goals and things like that. So there's definitely some volatility to him. Um, But the fact that he's also a DPP mid and defender just adds to his value. And it looks like that he's got uh, one of those uh, six defender spots uh, starting on field for GWS, considering their outs over the last few, um, uh, the, over the, the off season, and considering that Ryan Griffin has uh, been reported today that he's he's not playing round one. There's only more reason for, for him to be picked on your side. 
I can expect probably a 60 um, average as an absolute minimum for Finlayson. So I have absolutely no reason um, to doubt him being a, a, someone that you can have in your back line. Uh, the last two that I want you to talk to me about here, JB, another mid-DPP uh, defender, Nick Caulfield, and uh, a rookie price, Lockie Murphy. There's a, a little bit of talk about these guys. What did you make of their JLT form, considering that um, we weren't ev- even sure if these two would be in the running for round one? Yeah, Caulfield's JLT form was fine. He... he- Put together some good possession games, which is great. He didn't score that well, but if you keep getting the possessions, eventually the scores will come with it. So he just needs to keep doing what he's doing, and and he should be fine for the season. A good bench option, maybe someone that you could loophole onto your team if you if you end up getting a zero at some point uh, on your bench. And Murphy, I, I Dude and uh, Fogarty were both confirmed to be playing today. Do uh, Murphy was not, so that makes me assume. He won't be in their side, and I don't think that'll surprise too many. So I think their forward line is very, very full, and unfortunately for Murphy, he's just the one that he's he's probably their twenty third or twenty fourth uh, selectable player. But unfortunately, if Tex isn't playing and Murphy's still not playing, he probably won't get a run until maybe mid season when we see a couple of players go out. It's very hard for rookies to break into a. Uh, uh, a grand finalist from the year before. So you've got Dodie um, uh, taking in uh, Jake Lever's spot. And uh, Lockie, uh, sorry, Darcy Fogarty is just um, a ridiculous talent. Very lucky to slip to pick 12, I think it was, in, in last year's draft. Um, he's got all the talent in the world. So it, it's quite easy to see how he can break in, especially with the news of like a Brad Crouch that's out for six weeks that as is reported today. Um, so it's 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 much harder for Lockie Fog, uh, Lockie Murphy. So many uh, names getting confused. Um, <laughs> it's harder for him to break into, seeing as he's he's playing a bit of a different role. He's he was playing more of a, a pressure forward, not a, a impacting the game as much. Just um, a, a, a harassment machine across the the half forward line. So he's probably going to get games at some point this year. I'm just not sure that we can bank on him just yet. And for that reason, I think it's a. Uh, uh, it's safe to assume that he's not going to be in round one. As we've seen a lot of teams announcing who's going to be in their round one side so far, and he wasn't one of them when Adelaide was announced. So watch the teams, but I think we can consider that he won't be there, JB. Yep, definitely. Okay, mate. That pretty much wraps up the Defender podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it, JB. It's nice having you on. Yeah, great to be here again, and looking forward to having a chat in the next week. Brilliant, mate. Uh, how's your team looking before lockout? I, I think I made about another 30 changes today, and I can't remember what my team looked like 24 hours ago. <laughs> Mine's not changing much, but I still have Dangerfield in there, which I think is a point of difference. But I think Pistol's been in my ear quite a bit in the last 24 hours telling me how wrong I am. And now he's convinced me to even consider players like Gary Ablett. So I, I don't even Ooh. know what's going on right now. Moves are going through in my head, but they're not going through on my team yet. So I'm thankful for that. <laughs> I can't wait for the midfield podcast uh, coming in the, the coming days before lockout, JB. There's going to be lots of knowledge dropped and uh, probably the guts of your side being uh, distributed across the podcast and everyone will know your side become round one uh, because everyone's <laughs> waiting for the midfielders here, mate. Um, I should just say, as we say every week, uh, we do have the pods on iTunes. There's about 20% of people that aren't subscribed. So if you aren't subscribed, you aren't going to know when one of these podcasts pop out and you get some new information prior to round one. So hit that subscribe button on iTunes. Leave us a review if you do want your um, you do want us to know that you enjoy the podcast. If there's anything you think we can improve, that's an awesome place to put it as well. And if you do leave us a review, make sure to send us your team 
through to our email drscpod at gmail.com. We are getting an influx as it comes closer to lockout time, but we're slowly uh, getting through them, JB. And there's some fantastic community teams. And uh, I look forward to speaking to you again, mate. Hey, Chizo, I just learned how to subscribe. So I've, I've done so myself. I wasn't even subscribed to my own podcast. You're one of the 20%. I was, yes, but now I'm not. <laughs> it's very easy to do. I just did it just then in the podcast. <laughs> of, of all our listeners, we're now at, at, at 9%. So um, I'll have that. <laughs> uh, appreciate you having on, mate. Uh, can't wait to hear your voice again, and we'll catch a later, community. Well, I know absolutely nothing. I know absolutely nothing. I know absolutely nothing.